Imagine a scenario where you're in the mood for a true crime podcast. You take out your headphones and press play on the first recommendation. You're excited to delve into an eerie and chilling case. Is someone missing? Is there a conspiracy about to be uncovered? As you listen to the beginning, you're met with a startling surprise. The podcast sucks. And now imagine that you're listening to a different podcast, one that exceeds your expectations. The storytelling is well done. The details are thoroughly researched. The music is chilling and unsettling. And then there's the best part. You get to listen to my deep and creepy voice. When you listen to Still Unsolved, you get to join us as we bring the true crime genre back to its roots. Every week, we highlight different cases of missing persons, wanted felons, unsolved murders, and the truly bizarre occurrences of life. Subscribe to Still Unsolved wherever you like to listen to your podcasts and join us. With your help, some of these cases may no longer be an unsolved mystery. You're listening to True Crime Feed. to True Crime Feed. I'm your host, Angela Ferrari, reviewing the best true crime podcast from the past decade with a teensy bit of humor, plus my top three true crime picks of the week. Up first on the docket, here's a show from the archives I think you will really enjoy. Let's discuss the case for Cover Story Season 2, Seed Money from New York Magazine. Here's a synopsis from the show page. What can a billionaire get away with these days? A secret bat cave? A harem of women? An international spy operation? Stealing the soul of a small town in Montana? A Silicon Valley venture capitalist was accused of running a massive sex trafficking operation by his best bro friend. And we unravel the truth about both of them their business, their breakup, their lies, and their embarrassing text messages. The story of a billionaire with a hero complex, the ex-spy who turned his life inside out, and us, the reporters who got caught in their macho drama. Ooh, messy, messy, messy. But before we go there, to take your listening experience to the next level, go to thetruecrimefeed.com and sign up for my newsletter where I curate visual aids to accompany the show. Key players this week are billionaire Michael Gogan and his ex-bro friend, Matthew Marshall. All right, I got to confess something to you. Every week when I'm putting together a new episode for the show and I'm looking at a blank page, I will find myself being overwhelmed with this deeply intense feeling of crippling self-doubt. Like, what am I doing here, man? Recapping true crime stories and inserting pithy little quips? Who even needs me? This week, though, I had zero self-doubt because you need me for this one. We have on our hands here a diamond in the rough, a salacious, thought-provoking story that was turned into a long-meandering six-episode hot mess of a podcast series. 
It was so confusing and rambling that I originally quit after episode three, but I couldn't stop thinking about it and I was dying to know the outcome. So I dredged through the rest of Cover Story season two to get all the deets. And now I have them for you. After sorting through this junk drawer of a series, throwing out the unnecessary loose rubber bands and twist ties, I've brought you a nice, clean, organized story about some filthy billionaire drama. You're welcome. So let's get into it. Our story today is set in the resort town of Whitefish, located in Flathead County, Montana. For over 14,000 years, it was home to the Kootenai people, and it took a while for outsiders to move in. Europeans would pass through on the occasional hunting or fur trapping excursion, and then in the 1880s, the first permanent settler built a cabin on the shores of the beautiful Lake Whitefish. He recruited other men to the territory and started a big logging operation damming up the river, then releasing a great rush of water to send the log southbound. That's when this northern Montana territory really started going through changes. Next came the railroad, and fun fact, before it was named Whitefish, this territory was called Stumptown because of the logging and all the huge stumps that remained around the downtown long after the trees were cleared to build the train station. After World War II, the first ski resort was developed, attracting wealthier outsiders to the town. Between the lovely Lake Whitefish and the incredible Big Mountain ski slopes, Whitefish transformed into a vacation destination. Their town motto became Montana's Outdoor Recreational Playground. It has a much nicer ring to it than Stump Town. Over the past few decades, Flathead County, Montana has continued to grow in population, especially after the pandemic. Many temporary vacationers began to settle down permanent routes. And longtime Whitefish residents start seeing Porsches cruising around backcountry roads. And former rustic camps with no plumbing were being demolished to make way for mansions with $6,000 toilets. Locals could easily spot the wealthy outsiders. They always had this very specific style, like they spent a lot of money to look like a rustic mountain man. The obvious tell was the scuff-free leather boots adorned with tassels. And more than one billionaire now calls Whitefish their permanent home. Bill Foley, owner of the Las Vegas NHL team, the Golden Knights, he owns a ski resort a ranch, and a few restaurants in Whitefish. Plus, billionaires Mark and Robin Jones, founders of Goosehead Insurance, they've bought up so much property that they now own nearly one-fifth of all private land in Flathead County. But one billionaire gets top billing for his role in shaping Whitefish. His name is Michael Gogan. Mike made his billions in Silicon Valley, a former partner at the venture capital firm Sequoia Capital. He was on the board of a lot of other tech startups with dumb names like Avenex, Netiverse, and Infoblox, spelled with an X. So anyway, Mike takes his billions to Montana and builds a 75,000 square foot compound on Whitefish Lake. He then starts making big philanthropic investments in the local community. 
He creates a land trust for a public trail system, and he also launches a nonprofit called Two Bear Air Rescue Service. Mike purchases two state-of-the-art helicopters to help aid in search and rescue efforts around the North Montana wilderness. Mike also takes EMT classes himself so he can be a part of said rescue missions. Folks in town are surprised they've never seen any kind of philanthropy like this before. Mikey Gogues even earns himself the nickname of Batman. He's quoted in a rare interview with the Flathead Beacon saying, I love this place for the same reasons that everyone else does. I find it incredibly satisfying and rewarding when I do something that helps people in a significant way or solves a tough problem. In addition to his many philanthropic investments, Mike is an investor of Proof Research Inc., a firearms company that produces rifles for hunting and for the military, and that's based in the nearby town of Columbia Falls. Mike was also the sole investor of Casey's Bar and Grill, a former saloon dating back to 1900 that was renovated into a five-story bar, grill, dance club, and event venue with rooftop views of gorgeous mountain vistas, located in a prime corner of real estate in downtown Whitefish. More on Casey's Bar and Grill later. Because first, we need to talk about another one of Batman Michael Gogan's philanthropic ventures, a private security firm called Bruce Wayne Enterprises. JK, JK. The firm was actually called the Amantor Group. And to head the Amantor Group, Mike enlists the help of a former high-ranking military intelligence official named Matthew Marshall. Billionaire Mike is connected with Military Matt through a mutual friend and former actor from the movie Bring It On, Huntley Ritter. I know, totally random, right? If you don't remember, Huntley plays Les, the token gay male cheerleader in Bring It On. After that movie, Huntley goes on to have a very successful career launching a video advertising company, producing projects like that viral Virgin Airways safety dance video starring Todrick Hall. Huntley's company is based in Whitefish, Montana, and he connects Mike with Matt. Here's where we start to experience some, let's say, different accounts. Military Matt said his first encounter with billionaire Mike was at an upscale topless bar in Las Vegas called the Spearmint Rhino. Ugh, the only thing worse than names of tech startups are the names of swanky strip clubs. According to Military Matt, the billionaire Batman Mike was really into spycraft and soldier war stories. He wanted to learn about Matt's experience in the world of intelligence and see if the two had value alignments for a joint venture. Mike's vision for his private security Amnitor group was to secure hundreds of millions of dollars in government contracts to do things like fight drug cartels in Mexico or rescue kidnapped victims from Islamic terrorist groups or spread pro-American propaganda in developing nations. America! Matt then claims that Mike handed him a huge roll of hundreds. He estimated about five grand in total. And Mike told Matt, have a great rest of your evening at the Spearmint Rhino. Just please bring me back any leftover money in the morning. And then Mike skedaddled into his next appointment in the private back room. Matt figured he was being tested. So the next day he meets up with Mike 
and hands him back the roll of cash. Mikey Gogues is super impressed and immediately hires Military Matt to be his right-hand man in Whitefish, Montana. Matt starts out running private security for Mike. Mike, of course, has a lot of things to secure. He has a huge Montana compound, a private jet, lots of fancy cars, and his local businesses. So he needs Matt to keep an eye on things and put fires out while he's away. For example, the manager at Casey's Bar and Grill might have been snorting coke on the job, smuggling out booze, and stealing money. So Matt was in charge of taking care of stuff like that. Not exactly what he signed up for, but it was easy work for Matt. He was getting paid well and got to go home to his wife and kid every night. Plus, he's developing a very close bromance with Mike. Over the years, Military Matt found that he could really open up to Billionaire Mike about his time in the service, which involved a lot of trauma and near-death experiences. Matt was a former elite member of the Force Reconnaissance Division in the Marine Corps. He had once ran a covert mission in Syria and was captured, tortured for a week, and narrowly escaped. He also tells Mike about his best friend in the military who had been killed by a sniper, and Matt risked his own life to recover his body and bring him back to base. Matt had his deceased friend's name tattooed on his body, as well as the Force Recon insignia. After completing his service in the Marines, Matt worked for the CIA and then later on as a consultant. Mike is one of the first civilians he's felt comfortable with sharing details of his military career. And there is also some progress being made in the newly formed Amentor group. Mike has hired Matt's CIA buddy John McGuire, a former go-to agent in Iraq during the Bush administration, and also another former CIA member, Mary Beth Long. Billionaire Mike is busy working to secure government contracts for private overseas missions. While waiting for all of this to get up off the ground, Matt is spending most of his time being Mike's errand boy, stocking Mike's house and downtown condo with snacks and Viagra before Mike is scheduled to fly in with a lady friend or two. He was starting to feel a little disillusioned with the lack of progress being made with the Amentor group. They did, however, complete five small operations, including rescuing some kidnapped DEA agents in Mexico. But the money and the mission started to dry up. It was getting harder and harder to get a hold of Mike. This was all a far cry from the original mission Matt was pitched. He had been expecting to be organizing these global do-gooder missions all around the world, but the government contracts and funding for the projects kept falling through. Instead, Matt's job had essentially been reduced to being Mike's personal bouncer and task rabbit. According to Matt, the final straw came when Mike asked him to have someone killed. I guess there was this dude, a former friend of billionaire Mike, and they had a falling out, and now the guy was blackmailing him, threatening to go public with all of Mike's dirty little secrets, so Mike wanted Matt to take him out. That's the story anyway, and Matt says this was the turning point for him. So along with his CIA buddy, John McGuire, and two other plaintiffs, Matt Marshall files a $300 million lawsuit claiming billionaire Mike's bad reputation was hurting the Amentor group, and therefore the company couldn't obtain the necessary top-secret security clearance. They were suing for lost wages, and they were also making scathing allegations against Mike Gogan. Mike Gogan 
John McGuire told New York Magazine reporters that Mike was running a sex trafficking operation in Whitefish. John claimed Mike was using his private jet to bring girls up, keep them in a safe house, and make them available for private events. Which brings us back to Casey's Bar and Grill. In addition to the restaurant's five stories, there was also a basement, accessible only to a handful of VIPs via private access code. According to John and Matt, the basement of Casey's had a boom-boom room. Equipped with a stripper pole, a glass shower, and various lateral surfaces for sexual activities. These allegations came out about five years after a separate $40 million lawsuit was filed against Mike Gogan by an exotic dancer named Amber Baptiste. Baptiste claimed that she was physically and sexually abused by Mike, and she claimed he also infected her with an STD. Mike Gogan was let go from Sequoia Capital after these allegations became public. Mike admits to having a long-time consensual affair, but denies any abuse. He goes on to successfully countersue Amber Baptiste, saying that all the claims made against him were false and merely a ploy to extort more money after he had already generously given her $10 million. And Amber wasn't the only gal getting a payout. According to New York Magazine, Mike Gogan had given large payouts to at least 30 women. Mike had to amend his tax filings from 2012 to 2015 to disclose IRS gift tax provisions. He had given away millions to women who he had been romantically connected to, either giving them cash directly or through the form of LLCs. LLCs with names like Liquid Kisses, NT Cookies, or Laugh Out Loud. And these are real, legitimate business investments and definitely not shell companies created to pay women for favors, okay? So yeah, maybe a little bit icky, but nothing proven to be illegal here. Later on, that lawsuit brought by ex-bro friend Matt Marshall was dropped by Judge Donald Malloy and dismissed with prejudice in May 2022. Mike Gogan denies all claims alleged by Matt Marshall and John McGuire. Mike does acknowledge his affairs. You know, he's been married four times. He admits to not being the perfect husband and making mistakes, but he insists all of these romantic encounters were consensual and he deeply cares for these women. Mike's just a misunderstood billionaire who's been taken advantage of for his generosity. And this whole time, all he's ever wanted to do was use his money to help people. You know, like Batman. Wow, so all the smoke and no fire? I thought this show was about true crime, Angela. What gives? Well, you're absolutely right, dear listener. This isn't a crime story about billionaire Michael Gogan. This is really the story of con man Matt Marshall. That's right. This is like one of those two-in-one optical illusion paintings where you think you're looking at a scathing portrait of a billionaire with blinding white teeth. But in actuality, it's a blistering profile of a muscle-bound meathead who pretended to be a high-ranking official in the U.S. military. That's right. Matt Marshall was never in the Force Recon Division in the Marine Corps. He was never in the CIA either. Although he did serve in the Marine Reserves, where he accrued 82 absences before he was discharged without honors. 
Matt had multiple burner phones and numbers that he used to gain credibility. He'd do things like make it look like he was getting frequent text messages from bigwig CIA official Coffer Black. But instead of a long storied military career, con man Matt Marshall had been an Indiana state trooper until he was forced to resign for being a suspect in a burglary. Later on, he was in Iraq for a stint, but not as a high-ranking intelligence officer. Instead, as a private security hired gun working for Blackwater. That's where he made some of his first military contacts. He would inflate and exaggerate his service to gain clout. But the second anyone questioned his credentials, he'd ghost them. Mike Gogan first got word that his number two man, Matt Marshall, might be a fraud from a friend of a friend named Evan Hafer, who is an actual former CIA officer and Green Beret who now owns Black Rifle Coffee Company. Hafer said he once hired Matt Marshall to do some advisory work for him, but quickly started to notice Matt's stories weren't adding up. Matt was basically describing one man's superhuman operations that sounded more like plots from the Jason Bourne movies than any real-life missions Hafer had ever encountered. So Evan Hafer contacted some former Special Division Force Recon Marines. None of them had ever heard of Matt Marshall. When billionaire Mike gets word of this, he decides to do some background checks of his own on Matt and quickly realized he had been defrauded. Those five missions Matt had ran for Amentor, they were all lies. Matt told Mike he needed $750,000 for supplies for a secret operation to fight ISIS leaders. Not only was there no overseas mission, Matt had never left the country. Another time he was supposed to be in Syria fighting terrorists, Matt was instead in Miami with a mistress buying jewelry. All five missions had been fake. Matt Marshall had simply pocketed the money and spent it on girlfriends, family, and another secret family, which came as quite a shock to Matt's longtime wife. In July 2020, the feds indict Matt Marshall on 10 counts of wire fraud and money laundering. And on top of all that, he hadn't been paying taxes on any of his earnings from Mike. Oh boy. In 2021, Matt Marshall cuts a plea deal. He's sentenced to six years in a federal prison, and he maintains his innocence, claiming his lawyers bungled the case. His friends and former Amentor colleagues swear they had no knowledge that Matt had been lying to them, and they were merely victims of his fraud as well. Billionaire Mike Gogan still lives in Whitefish, though Casey's bar closed down in 2022. His reputation remains mostly unscathed, and life has moved on business as usual in the northern Montana town. In my opinion, everyone in this story is lying, at least a little bit. Or they're afraid to tell the full truth, especially the longtime locals of Whitefish. Pull up a bar stool and you'll hear whispers of wealthy men's bad behavior. Slipping $100 bills down a young hostess's shirt or following a teenage looking girl into a dressing room. No one wants to go on the record and report these incidents to the authorities. So these rich dudes in their expensive leather boots adorned with tassels walk around the town getting to live above the law. I don't know, man. Maybe that take isn't fair. It's easy to blame all the problems in this town on the wealth gap and on folks from away. 
You could also imagine where this town would be without this influx of money and investment into the community. Whitefish certainly wouldn't have become Montana's outdoor recreational playground. So would things really have been better off without the billionaires? After all, without Mike Gogan, the town wouldn't have Two Bear Air Rescue Service or the Whitefish Public Trail System or LLCs set up for former girlfriends like Liquid Kisses and Tea Cookies or Laugh Out Loud. And also, just throwing this out there, I am open to accepting cash gifts if any of you billionaires listening want to amend your tax filings for me. I can't promise favorable treatment on my podcast, but I will pretend that the name of your tech company is really cool. Yes, obviously, there's an upcharge if the letter X is in the name. But I can absolutely assure you, your money will go to good use. Because I'm starting a super secret matchmaking service slash crypto exchange for con artists who don't realize they're being set up with other con artists. And they're also being incentivized to get each other to invest in a phony cryptocurrency. Eventually, they'll learn a valuable lesson and change their wayward ways. And I'm thinking of naming my new nonprofit the Fraudsters Transformation Exchange, or FTX for short. Ugh, no, on second thought, that name sounds way too dumb. Alrighty then, like I said, the original coverage of Matt vs. Mike in Season 2 of Cover Story Seed Money is a bit of a mess, but once you know where it's all going, it's way easier to follow along. And they go into a lot more detail on allegations against billionaire Mike Gogan, and they share some disgusting back-and-forth text messages between Mike and Matt, describing their various conquests back when they were still in their bromance phase. Those exchanges are wicked gross. My favorite parts are hearing from the townspeople of Whitefish. I think their voices are the most important in the story. And I also really enjoy the commentary from former CIA official and Amantor colleague, Mary Beth Long. She doesn't hold back in any of her opinions, which I appreciate. Uh, Yeah, like I said, I don't know what it is about this one. It's really stuck with me. I think it's because it's one of those stories where a lot happens that isn't technically illegal, but just feels really messed up. The whole Matt Marshall claiming to be a force recon Marine when he wasn't. It blows my mind that stolen valor isn't itself a crime, but jaywalking is. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting all worked up over nothing, being unnecessarily whiny and dark and dramatic like Batman. I don't know. I'm going to pass the cheer spirit stick over to you. What do you think? Are you in your feels too over this story? Email me directly at Angela at the truecrimefeed.com or join the True Crime Feed Facebook discussion group. Keep an open mind and be kind to fellow True Crime Feed friends. Stay tuned till after the break to hear my top three podcast power ranking of the week. Ah, <sighs> Hey, you. I'm so glad we found each other and get to share our special love for true crime podcasts. I don't ever want you to miss out on a wild story. That would be a crime in itself. So be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button on your podcast app and share your favorite episode with a friend so the next time you see each other, you can splurge about your latest true crime obsession. Thanks for spreading the word. And now back to the show. And we're back. Here are the three shows currently trending that I think are worth a listen. I present to you this week's podcast power ranking. 
At the number three spot, we have Gallery of Lies. Here's a synopsis from the show page. For years, Helga Achenbach has been among the world's most successful art dealers, but with one treacherous move, he lands in prison. In season six of Chameleon, Gallery of Lies, host Bijan Stevens sets out on an international trail of the most famous art criminal you've never heard of. With unprecedented access to an ex-con, Bijan attempts to solve the riddle of who Helga really is and who he might become. Uh, sorry, you guys, I was hoping to be fully up to date on this show. I'm only on episode four, but I'm really enjoying this one. It's a fun binge listen, especially if you're into art, but find the whole art collecting market a little insufferable. I know I'm not supposed to, but I kind of find myself rooting for Helga this whole time. Is that bad? Let me know if you're Team Helga too when you tune in to Gallery of Lies. At the number two spot, we have The Dream Season 3. Here's a rundown from the show page. Past seasons of this award-winning investigative podcast looked at pyramid schemes and the world of wellness. This season, we're getting to know the gurus and life coaches who claim they know the secret to living our best lives. Is it all in our mindset? Or our privilege? Or are we all under a spell? This week, I'm on episode six, where Jane Marie jumps into the world of neuro-linguistic programming with a former magician and now hypnotist named John James Santangelo. Again, I know Jane Marie is side-eyeing everything this guy is saying the whole time, but I got to admit, I'm kind of picking up what he's putting down. I know, I know. First team Helga, and now I'm getting spellbound by a former magician. What's wrong with me? Mercury must be in Gatorade or something. Nevertheless, whether I am in or out of alignment with Jane Marie, I'm continuing to enjoy my journey with the dream season three. And at the number one spot, we have once again, Murder in Apartment 12. Here's a summary from the show page. Nona Dirksmeyer is a young beauty queen. Smart and talented, her future is bright. But just days before her 20th birthday, Nona is murdered in her apartment. Police quickly decide their primary suspect is the young man who found her, her boyfriend, Kevin. After all, his bloody palm print is at the crime scene. Case closed? Not by a long shot. In Dateline's latest original podcast series, Keith Morrison tells the story of three trials, two suspects, and one small town where things are not always what they seem. On this latest episode, we encounter the other suspect in the Nona Dirksmeyer murder case who's wreaking havoc, causing some folks to have a change of heart. Keith continues to get persnickety with local Arkansas law enforcement. I've said it once and I'll say it again. Murder in Apartment 12 is peak Keith Morrison. I love you, Keith Mo. Now for my miss of the week. We have Crooked City, Season 3, Dixon, Illinois. Here's a rundown from the show. This is a story about a woman who came to be known as the Horse Queen. She owned hundreds of champion quarter horses on her ranch outside the small city of Dixon, Illinois. And she was also Dixon's treasurer slash comptroller. 
Yet, no one ever thought to ask how she could afford all of those horses on the salary of a civil servant. Until the FBI raided City Hall in 2012 and Rita was arrested. For 20 years, Rita Crundwell worked hard to become the world's largest and most successful quarter horse breeder, while also becoming America's most prolific municipal embezzler. Dude, I love me some Mark Smerling. In addition to being the creator of Crooked City, he was also a producer on the docuseries The Jinx, and he was also the co-host of Crime Town, which is one of my all-time favorites. I usually think Smerling's instincts for story selection are dead on. But this latest season does not fit the classic Mark Smerling slash Crooked City brand I've come to know and love, because this case is not about a crooked city. It's about a crooked person. The crime occurred way too recently, and pretty much everything we needed to know about Rita Crunwell is already out there. It's been expertly covered in podcasts like Swindled and in that documentary, All the Queen's Horses. This season of Crooked City lacks that edge and gonzo style I'm accustomed to in a classic Mark Smerling joint. I hope he gets things straightened out for season four. But for now, I'm going to have to send Crooked City season three Dixon, Illinois down my podcast queue trap door. Find out next week if Murder in Apartment 12 will remain in the number one spot as the series continues or if a new show will move in and take its place. Let me know what trending shows are in your top three and what show fell through your podcast queue trapdoor. I'll meet you back here next week to dust off another superb true crime show from the archive for your next feeding fix. That's all for today's true crime feed. Don't forget to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I post links to my top three favorite shows of the week and bring you fabulous visual aids for every episode. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to join the conversation. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and tell your fellow partners in crime to listen to True Crime Feed. Thanks for riding along and allowing me to be your audio accomplice. Join me next week for another feeding. Thank you.